In John 14, 13, Jesus says, And whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Verse 14, if you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Now, John 15, verse 16. You did not choose me. Oh, thank you, Jesus. But I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain, that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give you. And then finally, John chapter 16, verses 23 and 24. In that day, you will ask me nothing. In what day? He's talking about in the days that are coming when he has ascended and he's no longer in the earth. In that day, you're not going to be able to ask me nothing. Most assuredly, I say to you, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. Until now, you have asked nothing in my name. Ask, and you will receive that your joy may be full. So again, Jesus is saying this right before he is about to die. And he urges them, pray, ask, request, and just make sure that you use my name. Now I want you to understand what he was really doing for them is he was transferring his dominion as Jesus Christ in the earth, as the Son of God, with all authority and power. He was transferring. Think of it as a power of attorney for us today, legally. He was giving them really what amounts to his power of attorney, his signing privileges, his proxy. He was giving that to them. And he was saying, use my name. Now, this is in our Bible. <clears throat> most of us have read this. Uh, most of us, at least in a colloquial way, when we have learned to pray either by listening to other people pray or, or reading the scriptures, we have a, a general understanding, and most of us when we pray, we say, you know, in the name of Jesus. Uh, and yet, we don't use it as often or as forceful as we should. We don't use it with the faith and understanding that we should. And a recent uh, survey found that only 20% of Christians pray every day. Two out of ten pray every day. And uh, I don't think we would uh, consciously make a decision not to pray, but subconsciously we have some barriers to prayer and some reasons that we don't pray. And I want to share a few of those with you. Point number one for reasons that some people don't pray is guilt and shame. People tend to hide from God when they know they've sinned and they know they've done something wrong and they feel guilty. And so they hide from God and they don't seek out the presence of God and they specifically don't seek out intimacy with God in prayer because they're so conscious and aware of their sin that makes them feel guilt and shame so they distance themselves from God by hiding. And if you're a person who hides from God because of personal flaws and failures and sins and mistakes and you feel guilt and shame, you got that tendency honest. That's the first thing our ancient grandparents, Adam and Eve, did when they sinned. 
right after they sinned, they felt the overwhelming cloak of guilt and shame. What's the first thing they did? They ran and they hid from God. So still today, many Christians, when they know that they've committed wrongdoing, they know they've sinned, they run and they hide from God. And if you're a person who hides from God, or maybe you're hiding from God right now, and that's what's keeping you from praying, I've got really good news for you. You can still hide from God if you pray in the name of Jesus. Praying in the name of Jesus is hiding from God. Okay? In Colossians 3, verse 2 or 3, he says, Your life is hidden in Christ. So if you like to hide from your guilt and shame, if you like to hide in the name of Jesus, Proverbs 18.10 says, The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The rendering of the translation there is fortress that the righteous run into and are safe. Now the analogy the writer is given here is people that belong to a fortress, but they're outside of the fortress doing something, and enemies come upon them and start chasing them. And so they run back to their fortress, and they hide inside the fortress from whatever's chasing them on the outside, and when they run into their fortress, they are safe. He's wanting you to know the name of the Lord is a place you can run and hide. You can run and hide from your enemies, but you can also run and hide from your guilt and your shame. You can hide in the name of Jesus Christ when you pray. Look at Romans 5, 1 and 2. It says, therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Now, back to Proverbs 18, when he says, the name of the Lord is a strong tower the righteous run into. You may have previously thought that that scripture was only for right people, righteous people, good people, right standing people. But Romans 5.1 says, we are justified by faith. The word justified means to be declared righteous. The word justified doesn't mean you're righteous. It means the God of all righteousness, the judge of all, has declared that you're righteous because you have faith in Jesus Christ. So if you have faith in Jesus Christ, regardless of what your conditions are in the moment, regardless of where you're at, regardless of how filthy you are, regardless of your mistakes or your struggle, if you have faith in Jesus Christ, you have been declared righteous by God. And by, by faith in Jesus, you stand in a position of grace. So you can run and hide in the name of Jesus by praying. When you understand this, you understand that when you're going to God, you're not going as you. When you go to God, you're not going with your track record, with your history. When you go to God, you're not going based off of your own merits. You're not going saying, God, I've been really good, hear my prayer. For some reason, that's how we've learned it and that's how we've been taught, but that's not what's happening when you pray. Anytime you kneel down to pray and you feel unworthy, just just go ahead and check the box. You are unworthy to approach a holy God, okay? 
if you ever kneel down to pray and you think you've been living pretty good and you feel worthy to pray, then you're committing the sin of pride. You're never worthy enough to approach a pure and holy God in your name. That's why Jesus said, when you go to pray, make sure you use my name. Hide yourself in my name. So when I go to God, I'm not going in Jason's name. I'm saying in the name of Jesus. That's why it's important to start your prayer. Father, in the name of Jesus, I come to you today. It's announcing to yourself, I understand I don't qualify. I understand the only reason I have the right to access you is because Jesus Christ made it possible by dying on the cross. And I'm announcing in the beginning of this prayer, I have faith in what Jesus did for me. And I have so much faith in what Jesus did for me that I have the boldness with my guilty self to approach your throne room. I have the boldness with my wicked self and all my past and my sins and my mistakes and my mess. I have so much faith in what Jesus did on the cross that, Father, I approach you in the name of Jesus. And when you come like that, Jesus said, God will hear your prayer. All right. Listen to me. We are not saved because we are good. Follow the logic. We are not saved because we are good. We are saved because Jesus is good. Same logic. God does not hear our prayers because we are good. God hears our prayers because Jesus is good, and we pray in the name of Jesus. Number two reason people don't pray, complacency. Complacency. Life wears you down, you know? And as we go through life, we can grow cold in our faith and cold in our expectation, and we don't pray. And the reason for this is real prayer requires faith energy. Everybody say faith energy. And if your faith isn't being built daily, then it can be draining to pray. It can be difficult to pray. It's like, in, for a natural example, the health experts always tell us, you know, to be healthy, you need to diet and exercise. Put those two together, diet and exercise. Well, here's the problem with diet and exercise. When you diet, you reduce calories. Calories aren't anything except units of energy. So when you reduce your energy drastically, guess what you don't feel like doing? Okay. A lot I could say about that, but... but if you reduce your faith energy, you're not in the word like you should be, you're not listening to messages, you're not feeding yourself. If you reduce your faith energy, then when it comes time to pray, you don't have the force and the energy you need to be truly effective and active in your prayer life, so you fall into complacency. Taking too much time with this. Number three, unbelief. Unbelief. People don't pray at times because of unbelief. Now, this is not to say that you don't believe in God. There's a lot of people that believe in God. They believe in God's power. They believe in God's miracles. They believe God will perform miracles for other people. They just don't believe he will do it for them. So when it comes to them, there's an area of unbelief. They do believe in God, but they have a blockage. They have an area of unbelief when it comes to something in their individual lives. And uh, 
you know, it may be hard to swallow that you're not praying like you should because of unbelief. You may consider yourself a person of great faith, but I bet you, if you truly believed that spending 10 minutes in prayer every day for your business would cause your business to grow and be more healthy, you'd probably be praying more. If you truly believed that praying for 10 minutes about your marriage would help the communication be more healthy and help the intimacy and help the arguments go down and help all of the things between you and your spouse, if you truly believe that, I bet you'd be praying more. If you truly believed that prayer would change the situation with that rebellious child or with the child that has ADHD and can't be controlled or ruled by anybody, if you truly believe that prayer would change it, I bet you, you would be praying more. And for those of you who are battling areas of unbelief, you can pray Mark 9.24. In Mark 9.24, a father had brought his son to the disciples. The son was being oppressed by a demonic spirit and the demonic spirit was offering him thoughts of suicide. So the boy was trying to kill himself all the time. And the father brought the son uh, to the disciples. They prayed over him. They couldn't do nothing with him. So Jesus comes up and uh, the man asked Jesus, he says, if you can do anything, would you please help us? And Jesus said, well, if you believe, all things are possible to him that believes. And so the father gets honest <clears throat> and he says, Lord, here's the thing. I do believe, but help my unbelief. The father was honest enough to recognize that inside his faith paradigm, he did have belief. But there were areas, targeted specific areas of unbelief. You know, it's a really great sounding phrase that preachers like to say, I've heard it for years by so many, that faith and fear don't occupy the same place. It sounds great, it's not true. You can all at the same time have great faith about this thing and unbelief about this thing. It's part of the human condition. And so if you notice yourself struggling and wrestling with areas of unbelief in your life, you can pray that same prayer the Father did. Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. In fact, you can lift a hand and pray that right now. Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. Set my faith on fire right now in the name of Jesus. Teach me to expect more from you right now. I feel that. Teach me to expect more from you right now in the name of Jesus. Show me the proof that nothing is impossible for you, God, in the name of Jesus Christ. You can pray that prayer. You can pray that prayer every day. But subconsciously, we don't consciously do this. We don't consciously stay away from God in prayer. But subconsciously, we allow these walls to be built. Subconsciously, many Christians, I would say by the survey, 80%, do not believe that 10 minutes of prayer is as effective as 10 minutes of human effort. And if that's deep inside your core belief system, you will never pray effectively. And if you never begin to pray effectively, you will not take, possess, and live in everything that God has intended for you to have. You know, people say, well, you know, if it's the will of God for me to have it, I would have it. If you say that, you don't understand the will of God. Let me simplify the mystery of the will of God. 
The mystery of the will of God can be simplified by one word, desire. God desires you to have all of the promises in his word. God desires you to walk in the fullness of dominion and authority as a Christian that he promises in the word. That's his desire. But you have a will and a desire too. And it's only when your will and desire begins to partner with God's will and desire that his will can be done on earth as it is in heaven. In other words, you have to pull the will of God out of heaven into manifestation in the earth by aligning your will with his, and you do that by praying. You need to pray. The stuff you're waiting to break in your life is not going to break until you start praying. God sent me here and sent you here because somebody in this room needed to hear it is time for you to start praying like you've never prayed before in your life. Your wood on the inside has gotten far too cold and far too wet. If you want this thing to change, you need to start praying. We're dealing with crisis in our nation, I am convinced, because God's people are not praying. Our homes are being overrun with demonic activity. You know why? People of God are not praying. If you want to start seeing change, you're going to have to pray the thing from heaven until it manifests into the earth. Look at somebody and say, pray. And number four, reasons we don't pray. Stop preaching and teach, Jason. Number four, number four, discouragement. Okay? Reason we don't pray, discouragement. And this is, you know, you had one or two issues in your life that were really monumental. They were huge. And you prayed about it, and I mean, you actually prayed. You, sent some, you spent some serious time. You really went in, and you prayed and prayed and prayed, and you didn't get the answer that you were wanting. And so you've let, you know, one or two no's cause you to be discouraged and just shut down your prayer life concerning everything else. And uh, if you're discouraged over prayers that didn't yield a result, you either got one or two things going on, and I'll, I'll share them with you. Number one, you're either not praying effectively, because when you pray effectively, even if you don't get what you wanted, you always get something when you pray effectively, okay? Even if you didn't get what you wanted, you get a grace, you get an empowerment, you get a strength, you get a release in the spirit when you pray, okay? It's never wasted time to pray. Or, number two, you're discouraged about getting a no because you're not journaling and chronicling and writing down your prayers. If for one year you would write down the prayers that you prayed to God and then put a little box, and then when you got an answer, you would go back and check that box, you would find that far more often than not, God answers your prayers and does just what you asked him to do. But, but when, you get, when you get a no and you just fold your hands on God and start pouting on God and just refusing to pray, you literally are shutting down divine activity in your life. You're like a petulant child that's mad because they didn't get what they wanted, so you're crossing your arms and you're just quitting on it. Even Jesus got a no. 
He's in the garden and he's praying. If there's any way this cup can pass, let it pass. The answer was no. I can't give you this one. But Jesus didn't get upset and fold his arms because look at all the other prayers that he prayed that had been answered. And the same will be true with you. Add up the yeses and the noes at the end of the year. I guarantee you, you'll find that God's been better to you than you even remember him being. I bet you, you'll find that God's been faithful to you even in seasons when you didn't deserve to have your prayer answered. I bet you God covered you and blessed you and, and did what you asked him to when you had no business asking him because you was in such a mess. I bet you you'll find he's faithful and he answers our prayer. But you're not praising him like you should. He's blessed you more times than you even remember. He's answered more times than you've even remembered to thank him. But you're not doing it because you've lost track because you're not writing it down. Prayer journal, anyone? Now, we don't like this kind of stuff because it takes discipline. And we just don't like anything that requires discipline. You know, we just don't like anything that requires us putting a pencil to it. But I guarantee you, if you will, you'll stop pouting on God and you'll realize, hey, I ain't got nothing to complain about. You've been good to me. God, you've been good to us. I just want to pause the lesson real quick and just tell you, you've been so good to us. I'm sorry we've been pouting on you and walking around like you hadn't been the best thing in our lives. I'm sorry we have the audacity to walk into your house and not lose our minds in praise. I'm sorry we've been the way we've been, but the truth of the matter is, from the rising of the sun to the going down of the same, you are worthy of all the praise. Not just because you own the earth and not just because you're the creator. You could be all that by yourself, but you've gotten involved in our lives and you've blessed us and healed us and covered us and protected us and been a shield round about us and you're worthy of the praise. Look at somebody and say, pray. Pray. Now, why is it so important to pray in the name of Jesus? Beyond just saying the words, What's the depth of it? What's the heart of it? What's it mean? Jeremiah 32, verse 8 through 11. We'll go back to our text. Jeremiah 32, 8 through 11 in the New King James Version. And I want to show you this. Hanamel, my uncle's son, basically his cousin, came to me in the court of the prison according to the word of the Lord. God told him this was going to happen. And he says, please buy my field that's in Anathoth, which is in the country of Benjamin, for the right of inheritance is yours, and the redemption is yours. Buy it for yourself. And then I knew that this was the word of the Lord, so I bought the field. Weighed out the money, verse 10, signed the deed, sealed it, took witnesses, put the money on the scale. 11, I took the purchase deed, both that which was sealed according to law and custom, everybody say law and custom, and that which was open. All right, so we got a couple of things here. We got two legal rights. We have the right of inheritance. We have the right of redemption. Let's say it. Right of inheritance, right of redemption. Then we got two deeds. We got a sealed deed, and we got a open deed. Now I want to reveal what's going on here in the text. 
Jeremiah, if you're gonna, if you're gonna uh, stop paying attention, stop paying attention at about five minutes, but stay with me for five minutes because you really got to follow what I'm gonna say in order to understand it. Jeremiah's father had passed away, and his father had owned this field, so his uncle comes and purchases the land from Jeremiah's mother, probably to help the family out uh, because the father had died. And after several years, the uncle's son, the uncle, the one who had bought it, the uncle's son comes to Jeremiah and says, I want you to buy this field. And God wanted Jeremiah to buy it. God sent him the word. He's going to come try to sell you this field, and I want you to buy it. Why? Why do you want me to buy a field? The cousin said, you got to buy this, man, because the right of inheritance and the right of redemption is yours. What's that mean? Right of inheritance. Under the Torah laws, land owned by fathers had to be passed to their sons when the father died. Okay? It was, you know, there was no separation between their religious and their state laws. So this was the law of the land. If a father owned a piece of property, when that man died, that property had to go to his son. Now, if the family sold the land, either while the father was living or when the father died, if the family sold the land to a third party, the buyer could keep the property and use the property until the buyer died. But when the buyer died, the land didn't go to the buyer's son. The land went back to the original owner's son or his grandson or his great-grandson or whoever was alive. The principle was the land had to stay in the original family. So when Jeremiah's uncle eventually would have died, the right of inheritance means that cousin, Hanamel, he wasn't going to inherit that property anyway. That property was going to go back to Jeremiah. He had the right of inheritance. All right? But also he had the second right, the right of redemption. If a father sold property... Uh, when he passed away, his son could do one of two things. He could wait for the new owner to die, and he's going to get the property back by the right of inheritance. Or the moment the father died, the son could go to the owner of the land and say, I'm purchasing this back right now. I have the right of redemption. Okay? So if a father died and the family needed some money to help out for a couple of years, they could, let's say they sold the land to a farmer and they said, all right, you can use this land and farm this land. So the farmer is working on it. He's using it. He's farming it. He's making money off it. He's doing great. But then 10 years later, Junior shows up and says, all right, get all your farming equipment and get off. I have the right to buy this back right now. I have the legal right of redemption. So those are the two rights, right of inheritance, right of redemption. So Jeremiah's cousin said, look, you got both rights on this piece of property. You got the right of inheritance. You got the right of redemption. It don't make no sense for us to keep and just prolong this out. Won't you buy this land back? Now, the other thing I got to tell you about is the two deeds. All right? There's an open deed. I'm losing you. Now, I can feel it. Yeah, I'm, I need to start teaching more because if you, if you always preach, people start getting real sleepy when you start teaching. All right? There's an open deed. Thank you, one person. There's an open deed. 
Lord Jesus, and a sealed deed. All right. Now, the sealed deed was the proof of a family's ownership of the land. All right. Once it was sealed, it was unlawful for anyone but the owner to open it up. And it could only ever be opened up in a courtroom in front of a judge if there was a dispute about the rightful owner. Okay? So the family kept the sealed deed, and I mean they passed that joker from generation to generation to generation to generation to generation. Boy, don't ever open this unless you go to, you know, grandpas would be sitting around the fire with little boys saying, don't you ever open this. This is the most important paper you'll ever hold in your life. This is the sealed deed that proves we own all this acreage around here. And as long as you don't mess this up, you can go through anything in life. Just don't mess this up. Just don't lose this. This is the sealed deed. That's the sealed deed. But then there is the open deed. The open deed would be used by families to make transactions on the land. Let's say you wanted to lease the land for a couple of years. You would say on the open deed, all right, this belongs to me, but I'm adding, you know, John Smith's name to this because he's going to lease it for the cattle rights, you know, for four years. Or you would add family members' names. You know, great-grandpa had the sealed deed, but since then he's had, you know, 18 grandchildren. He's got to add their names because they're part of the ones that are going to inherit and carry this on. So they use the open deed to add addendums and add further family members' names, but they never mess with the original sealed deed. So in the Torah, God made them use this land system and this inheritance system. Then that same God who wrote the law comes to Jeremiah and says, remember all those laws I wrote about land and about possession and about inheritance and redemption? I want you right now as my prophet to the nation, as a prophetic gesture, to reveal something deeper to my people. I want you to buy this land. And incidentally, it wasn't a great time for Jeremiah to buy the land because he was in jail because they didn't like the prophecies he was given. And I don't know if you've ever been in jail. If you have, you probably didn't buy any property while you were in jail. What is God saying to us? God is revealing to his people a mystery about his ownership and dominion of the earth. God owns the earth. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. The world and they that dwell therein, they all belong to God. And God keeps the sealed deed in heaven of his possession of the earth. Okay? About 17 of y'all got distracted by whatever's going up here and here, so I'm going to say it again because I didn't work this hard for you to lose what I'm saying because you can't stay focused. God owns the earth, and in heaven, he keeps since creation. He keeps the sealed deed to all his property. But, but, he gave the open deed to Adam and Eve when he created them and said, multiply, subdue, take dominion, 
in the earth. But Adam did what all those little boys were warned by their grandpas not to do. He lost the open deed to Satan in the garden. When he fell in sin, all of the dominion and the authority that God had given them, Adam lost the open deed to Satan. And the open deed can have extra names attached to it. So in the garden, when Adam and Eve fell, Satan was able to scribble his name on God's open deed to the earth that God gave to his son, Adam. And Satan had that open deed of all the dominion and the authority in the earth in his back pocket for thousands of years. And then when Jesus came on the scene and Satan tempted Jesus in the wilderness, you know what Satan said to Jesus? Bow down and worship me. Because look here, Jesus, all the kingdoms of this world, all the land in the world, all the systems in the world, they all belong to me. And I can give them to whoever I want because I got the open deed. And you know what? Jesus didn't correct him. He didn't say, uh-uh. Okay. Now, go to Revelations 5, 1 through 4. This is what happened when Jesus ascended into heaven and John the Revelator saw it. And I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll written inside and on the back sealed with seven seals. What's happening here? The one who sits on the throne, that's God the Father and the judge. And he's holding a sealed deed in his hand that's sealed with seven seals. Then I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and loose its seals? And no one in heaven or the earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look at it. Verse 4, so I wept much because no one was found worthy to open and read the scroll or look at it. But one of the elders said to me, do not weep. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David has prevailed to open the scroll and loose its seven seals. What's happening here? Jesus, been tempted and mocked by Satan, has ministered in the earth, has performed miracles, has done all these things, has gone to the cross, has showed himself alive by many infallible proofs, and now he's ascended into heaven, and he's called a court session challenging what Satan said to him in the desert when he tempted him. And he's saying the only way we can put this to rest, the only way we can fix this dispute is we have to go back to the original sealed document and see who the deed belongs to. So Jesus Christ, the root of Jesse, the lion of the tribe of Judah, hauled Satan's rear end into court and he said nobody in the whole world is qualified to open this seal except the son of the father. And because Jesus was the son of the father, he had the right of inheritance and the authority to open the seal. Let's see what it says. Now, as the son, he has right of inheritance. What's that mean? 
That means in the end, when Satan's, when Satan's over and he's done all he's going to do and he's cast into the pit, Jesus was going to get it all back anyway because he's the son and he has the right of inheritance. But he didn't want to leave me and you in the devil's hands in the meantime. So he decided to put off the right of inheritance and exercise the son's right of redemption. And if a son chose to, if somebody had taken the field, he could go back in that moment and he could pay the right of redemption and buy it back. That's what redemption means. Buying back what was yours in the first place. That's why the writer said, you have been bought with a price. Not of silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. He paid to buy the earth and you back and he stripped the open deed out of the devil's hands in court that day and john saw it and that's what he was telling the disciples in john 14 15 16 and 17. I'm about to go to the cross, and beyond that, I'm about to go to court. Hallelujah. I'm about to get your rights back. I'm about to get your dominion back. Put some power on this mic. I'm about to get your force back. I'm about to get your ownership back. I'm going to get your integrity back. I'm going to get what you lost So he handed them an open deed. Called in the name. Of Jesus. Now, if that don't excite you, you can't be excited. If that don't get you, your wood's wet. Might be beyond helping if that doesn't light you up. Fort John 14, 15, 16, 17, he's saying, you can add your name to this open deed as long as your life is hidden in my name. You can add your name to the dominion and the authority of the whole earth as long as your name is hidden in my name. So when you go to the Father and pray, just make sure you don't use your name. When you go to the Father and pray, make sure you pray in the name of Jesus. It opens up the deed of the whole world. It just puts you right there. It just puts you right there. It just puts you right there on the deed. It just puts you right there on the deed when you pray in the name of Jesus. So, 
So somebody called me, and, and they were upset, and they wanted counseling, and they went through the whole problem. And, and when they got through with the problem, they said, what do you think I should do? I gave them the best, most anointed counsel I could give them. I said, pray in the name of Jesus. They were mad at me. They thought I just wanted to get off the phone. They thought I wanted to skip out on giving them some good advice because they don't realize this principle, because they don't have faith in this principle, because they have not read this principle, because they have not been taught this principle. When you understand this and you pray in the name of Jesus, it's the highest supernatural action you can take. It's the most forceful spiritual weapon you can take. It's the most proactive, prevailing thing you can do is pray about it all in the name. So if you're sick in your body, pray about it all in the name of Jesus. If you're going through hell with your children, pray about it all in the name of Jesus. I know you don't think this is a prophetic word, but it actually is. It's not a word of knowledge. It's a word of instruction. You want things to change in your life? Pray about it all in the name of Jesus. If you'll go home and start praying about it in the name of Jesus, things will begin to shift in your life. Somebody give God praise for prayer. You can pray crazy prayers in the name of Jesus. Joshua prayed a crazy prayer. He said, God, we could win the victory if you'd cause the sun to stand still for a day. And when he prayed that crazy prayer, God messed around and answered it. Samson prayed a crazy prayer. He said, God, if you'll give me strength just this one more time, I can deal with all of my enemies. And God gave him so much strength, he pushed a building over. God answers crazy prayer. Fifteen-year-old boy looked up at a nine-and-a-half-foot-tall giant and prayed a crazy prayer. And his little rock brought that giant down because God answers even crazy prayers. Isaiah the prophet went into the king's chamber, King Hezekiah. He said, King, get your house in order. God said, you're about to die of this illness you got. Isaiah turned around and was walking out, and King Hezekiah turned his face toward the wall and started praying a crazy prayer. And before the prophet Isaiah walked out of the king's courtyard, the word of the Lord came back to him and said, go turn around and tell the king, I'm going to give him 15 more years because he had the audacity to pray a crazy prayer. You want a breakthrough? Do you want a breakthrough? Pray about it all. Do you want a blessing? Do you want a miracle? Then pray about it all. Pray about it. 
Oh, pray about it. Oh, stop calling people on the phone. Stop writing about it on Facebook. You want to take this mess pestering our nation down to the pit of hell where it came from? God's people need to get up and start praying about it all in the name of Jesus. your dominion possess your dominion live in your dominion take your dominion possess your dominion live in your dominion in the name In the name of Jesus. Not just the words. It's knowing and having faith what's behind those words. It's knowing about the deed. You understand? So Jesus says that to the disciples in the upper room during the Passover. Jesus dies. Three days later, rises again. Shows himself alive for 40 days. Many infallible proofs. He ascends into heaven. Tells them to go wait for 10 days on the Holy Ghost to fall. They did. Holy Ghost fell in Acts chapter 2. Peter preaches the inaugural message on the day of Pentecost. They said, what do we need to do to be saved? He said, repent. Repentance means to change your mind, to turn from yourself and turn to Jesus to save you. He said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus. First message of the church. First things are important. First message of the church. Be baptized. Repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus. Acts chapter 3, first miracle of the New Testament church. Peter and John going to the temple at the hour of prayer. See a lame man there at the gate, beautiful, begging for alms. He looks up at them, puts his hand out. They said, silver and gold we don't have, but I do got a deed on me. Silver and gold we don't have, but I do got a deed on me. In the name of Jesus, rise and walk. And immediately the man's feet and ankle bones received strength. He jumped up and went walking and leaping and praising God. When the court officials and the gate officials and the temple officials surrounded Peter and John, they said, by what means did you heal this man? Peter said, I didn't heal this man. He said, it was the name of Jesus and faith in his name. Hallelujah. That has made this man whole. You may have been running around with the name of Jesus, but not had any faith in it because you really didn't know what was behind it. But when you put faith and the name of Jesus together. Oh, yes. 
Oh, yes. All right. So, another one of those services y'all don't like. You know, I can't bring you down here and pop you on the head and make you go pray. Just like last week, we talked about honor. You have to go apply that. This message, you have to go home. It can't, I can't do anything for you in here. You understand? Now, I can't do your praying for you. I can pray for you, but I can't pray for you. You get it? Okay. So, I mean, you, you may have received many miracles from the prayers of others. That, that's a biblical principle, too. Sometimes all it takes is touching somebody that's touching Jesus. But if you're ever going to really rise up in your dominion and walk in your full authority, you got to learn to put this in play for yourself. So, begin your day in prayer and start in the name of Jesus. I'm hiding in your name. I'm hiding in your righteousness. I'm hiding in your grace. All of my flesh, all of my past mistakes, all of my failures, you're not seeing it anyway because I'm hiding in the name of Jesus. All right? And then begin to make your requests made known unto God. Pray the Lord's Prayer. Make your request made known unto God. If you got something on your heart or on your mind, pour it out to God. Okay. You don't have to wait till tomorrow morning. You can do this right now. You can do this on your, on your way to your car. You can do this on the way home. You can pray in the name of Jesus. But what I want to encourage you to do is start praying about it all. Why would you tolerate something wrong in your life and not pray about it? Why would you tolerate something wrong in your marriage and not pray about it in the name of Jesus? Put the name of Jesus on it. Why would you tolerate something in your life and not pray about it? Put the name of Jesus on it. To everyone who's got faith in him, you've been added to that open deed. Whether you know it or not, you have more dominion than you think you do. Amen. No demonic force or dark spirit has the authority to mess with you or dominate you unless you give it to them. Unless you open the door. And if you open the door, you can close it and take it back. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Stand to your feet. Give God praise. I hope I helped you today. Come on, give him a praise. His name has been preached. There's an anointing here. You can receive it. Give him a praise. Father, I pray that the spirit of intercession would fall in this house. I pray that people have ne that have never prayed before are going to start praying intensely. I pray that people that have never understood prayer are going to begin to start doing it and studying it and asking your spirit to teach them to do it. Holy Spirit, I thank you for gently reigning right now. Lord, you see every discouraged soul. You see every person that's in a difficult place in their life. And God, we know you care about it. 
Lord, thank you for sending us your word and encouraging us to go pray about it all. I speak peace over the lives of every person up under the sound of my voice in the name of Jesus. I speak rest to their emotions. I speak healing to their bodies and healing to their families. I speak your blessing upon their finances and their future. As they go forward today, let them go forward understanding the position that they are in in Jesus Christ. Your life is hidden in Christ. If you believe with your heart and you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, that he died on the cross, and that by the power of the Holy Ghost, God the Father raised him from the dead, and you call upon the name of the Lord in faith, you shall be saved. The scripture guarantees it. It's part of the deed. It's the deed of salvation. You can have access to that. And then you can progress to the deed of dominion where you begin to rise and take authority and take everything that God has for you. You can progress in this. You can progress in this. So I speak that blessing of progression over your life. I speak that the anointing of dominion, the spirit of dominion, the force of dominion, the grace of dominion, the blessing of dominion would be upon your life in the name of Jesus. That you would not be dominated by anything except God. You would not be dominated by any spirit except the Holy Spirit. That you would walk in your full force and your strength in the name of Jesus. Amen. 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 God bless you. If you have something you'd like to sow into the kingdom of God, if you have an offering or a seed you'd like to sow into the word, you can get that now. If you're watching online, you can sow. You can text to give today if you would like to try that. It's unique. Unique way to give, unique experience. Lord, we thank you for your word. And we thank you for people who give generously to the kingdom of God. We thank you for people that understand how your kingdom works. We thank you for people that know that you reign on the sea. May the Lord your God bless you. May he bless the work of your hands. May he bless your giving today. May he bless all that you touch. And may your prayers be so encouraging to you as you watch them open. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen. The blessing of the Lord be upon you today. We'll see you Wednesday night.